Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. All right, back and better than ever. Greeny with you here, uh, presented by Progressive Insurance. In the heat of summer, and hot it is, certainly where I am in New York, and from what I can tell watching the news, from wherever you are in America. So I hope you've got a cool spot to sit and relax. we got a really good hour coming your way. It is the first day of the rest of our lives as the New York Jets have opened their training camp and Aaron Rodgers is officially in the building. Him walking in and taking a photo in a Jets jersey is literally the closest the Jets have been to the Super Bowl in my entire life. So I, for one, am delighted. And so, I think, at least on my behalf, is my good buddy Booger McFarland, who jumps in here on this July day for a couple of minutes on ESPN Radio. Good morning, Booger. Michael, what's up, buddy? How we doing? Well, we're doing great because Aaron Rodgers and the Jets have opened camp. And that is just those are words I never in my life imagined I would say. Um, and and so let me ask you a couple of things. I really want to get into the running back stuff with you. But let me because we have been sort of Jets heavy today with camp opening and they're their first team to start camp because they're playing in the Hall of Fame game. So uh, they are in a day or two before anyone else. What do you expect? I mean, what 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 should people be looking for here as training camp and and preseason begin to start getting a sense of how this Rodgers thing is going to go? Well, I I think if you're a Jets fan, you you got to hope the defense can carry the team early on while the offense, you know, kind of puts together and figures out who they're going to be. Uh Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback and he's going to make their offense better, but offense is about timing, rhythm, cohesion, cohesiveness. And, and they don't have a lot of that right now, Green, especially under game reps. Uh, he's, not, he's probably not going to play a lot in the preseason, so they're going to have to get time on task once the regular season starts. I do expect them, by the time you get past the first four or five games, that offense should be able to put up 25, 28 points a game. And if they can do that with that defense, Greeny, they're going to win 10, 11, 12 games, and, and that'll get them a good spot in the tournament. And all you want to do is get in the tournament with a good defense, healthy quarterback, and I think, you know, you take your chances if you're a Jets fan. I think you're right on, on all of that. The concern that I have with that, and I don't, I'm sure you don't have it in front of you, and why would you? But much has been made. The Jets' early season schedule is brutal. We open at home on Monday night. The first Monday night game of the season will be Rodgers' first game, and it's at home against Buffalo. So it's right, right off the bat you're playing, you know, what has been the best team in the division. Then they're at Dallas. Then they've got the Patriots, then they've got at Kansas City, and then in week six or seven, excuse me, they have the Eagles. So they've got a brutal schedule to start the season, you know, and you can get yourself a little buried behind the, the eight ball if, if things don't start a little more quickly. Well, I agree with that, but losses early on aren't bad because it makes you realize that you're not as good as everybody says you are. Mm-hmm. The year we won the Super Bowl in Tampa, we lost the first game of the season at home to the Saints. Mm. Um, losses early aren't bad. I, I think if you're a Jets fan, what you look for this team to, is to come out and you want to see them making progress through the first three or four games. You want to see if Brees Hall is on the field, you want to see him healthy. You want to see the offensive line protecting Aaron Rodgers. If you see those things, then you know that they're going to be able to run the football. Then Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he's not one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time for no reason. He will move the football offensively what you don't want to see regardless of whether they win or lose in the first three or four games you don't want to see the quarterback getting hit a lot you don't Mm -hmm. want to see a limited amount from Brees Hall like you want to see these things you want to see the defense Quentin Quentin Williams being dominant those are the things that can be consistent and carry you even when the ball doesn't bounce your way so I wouldn't worry about if the Jets come out two and three I wouldn't even worry about Greeny if they're one and four like that doesn't matter to me it's a long season buddy you want to get in the dance 
you want to get a good spot and you want to be healthy at quarterback and healthy on defense. Two and four, I think, is is what we're looking at here. If, if the Jets can just make sure they're no worse than two and four after the game against the Eagles. Are then, you going to be okay if they're two and four? No. Are you going to show mean, up to work? But I'm going to be way better than if they're one and five. <laughs> and like, <laughs> you don't want to get yourself buried. Greeny and Booger, we're live at the Seaport District of Pier 17. Brought to you by Chase. Are, are you in Florida right now? Are you in Tampa? Yes, Greeny, you, you will love this. I actually just got off the Peloton. I'm sitting outside next to a palm tree where it's about 95 degrees. I'm sweating from my toenails and fingernails, and I feel great. You love it. You love. I can't handle this heat. You you can't handle the cold. I can't handle the hot. It's brutally hot up here, too. Yeah, I, I mean, Green, I love the heat. You know, anytime there's, a, there's anything other than a five or above in the first number, you lose books. <laughs> says Booker, Booker McFarlane, you would say, come up and do Mike and Mike with me in Bristol. And it'd be like 31 degrees. The rest of us were like, they weren't even putting on jackets. And, and Booger was freezing. So anyway, the cold has never sat well with my buddy Booger. L- l- let me get to what the real story in the NFL is right now, Boog. You- you've seen, obviously, all this business with, with the running backs and Saquon and, and Josh Jacobs in particular. You know, here are guys who their team has said to them, well, we're not picking up your fifth-year option. Go out and show us what you can do. And Josh Jacobs went out and led the league in rushing. And Saquon Barkley went out and had the fourth most touches of anybody and 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 single-handedly carried in a very mediocre team to a playoff spot. And then their teams look at them and say, well, you know, you're kind of used up here, so we can't find any money for you. We're going to go pay our very mediocre quarterback $40 million a year. What are we going to do about this with the running backs, Bug? Well, I, I don't know if there's anything you can't do, Green. I, I want you to think back to the Todd Gurley deal. Remember when Todd Gurley got like 14, 15 a year? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it, it was like he fell off a cliff. Yes. It, it almost seems like that was kind of the line where everybody started to pay attention to the running backs and like, okay, we can't go any further. And then it, it was, we're not going to pay running backs, we'll pay weapons. That's when McCaffrey got paid and Kamara got paid. But since then, Greeny, I think everybody around the league is saying, you know what, why would I pay a guy who every time he touches the ball, or about 95% of the time he touches the ball, you're going to have three or four guys hit him in the leg. And it's not if he's going to get hurt, it's when. And I understand that philosophy, but I also understand from a running back standpoint, on a case-by-case basis, if you're the Giants and you're Saquon Barkley, if Saquon Barkley doesn't get paid, everybody in the locker room knows he's the most valuable person on that team. But you're going to pay the quarterback $40 million, who's mediocre at best, who only threw for 15 touchdowns. And if Saquon Barkley doesn't show up, Daniel Jones can't carry that team. And I think the only way Saquon Barkley will prove his point is if he shows up and doesn't play. Yep. And then I think everybody in New York will see who the most valuable person on that team. Because otherwise, he's going to be grouped with all the other running backs. And we're going to say, well, the running backs are down. When in actuality, Greeny, it's a case-by-case basis, and certain players are worth more than others based on how that team uses them. Derrick Henry is worth more to the Titans than most running backs. Saquon Barkley is worth more uh, to the Giants than most. Think about what McCaffrey is to the 49ers. Yeah, they go running back by committee, but when they got McCaffrey, didn't it look different? Didn't it look special? Mm -hmm. I think that's that's what you have to do. You have to judge this on a case-by-case basis. That's exactly right. I mean, they are weapons as much as they are anything else. Maybe you know, Pete McConville, whom you know, who is the, the, you know, the vice president in charge of Get Up, among other things, he and I were talking the other day, and he was saying maybe they need to change the name of the position. <laughs> like if they literally changed it to offensive weapon, that it might actually uh, register a little bit differently. Uh, final thing, most important thing, how's the golf game? Golf game is good, Greeny. I just came off a uh, golf trip. 
uh, last weekend. We went to Louisiana and we played 90 holes in two and a half days, and it was absolutely unreal. That's glorious. That just sounds outstanding. We got to do it as soon as possible. Thank you for jumping in here, my friend. We'll see you on NFL Live later, and uh, and we will talk soon. Thanks, Bug. Looking forward to it. Glad you're actually hosting your own show now, Greeny. Well, I, I like listening to you, buddy. Here I am. I'm ready to roll, baby. Let's go. We got a little summer break. Uh, a lot of the time, but we will be back. Uh, certainly when the football season starts, we'll be back in here in this chair full time. Look, I mean, the bottom line of it with these running backs, and I said earlier, in fact, I'm going to read you. Well, actually, let me pause on this thought. I got an email from a really, really smart guy um, who who brought up a comparison with Saquon Barkley that I think is worth making, and we will do that. We will also get into how the impossible seems to be happening in one NFL city. All that and a whole lot more. We'll pause here and come back with that next. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny, the podcast. All right, Greeny with you here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Plenty of time for some phone calls as we continue here. The impossible seems to be happening in one NFL city. We will get to that as we go. We got our rank for the day on the way, and I'll try and get in some of my interview with Nick Saban. I had Saban on Get Up this morning, and we'll play you a little bit of that as well. So busy we are, but I promised you I would read you this email. A very smart person um, sent me an email. His name is Vince Doria. He was my boss here at ESPN for many years. He's retired now. He was the sports editor of the Boston Globe once upon a time, and he's one of the smartest people I know in sports. And he was watching... Get up this morning, and he sent me an email. He wrote, Greeny, and all the Saquon Barkley talk, surprised no one has brought up the Le'Veon Bell comparison. Bell played for the Steelers five years, injury in year two, couple of suspensions. But in years four and five, he was the best running back in the league, and like Barkley, a run-and-catch guy, three seasons around or over the 2,000 total yards mark. In contract dispute, sits out what would have been his sixth season, then signs $52 million four-year deal with the Jets. I know I don't have to remind you. And his career falls off the cliff. Yes, Barkley and Bell are two different guys. Injuries can always be a factor, but worth noting as a cautionary tale, Barkley is in the same spot career age-wise five years into his career like Bell. Hard to tell what a year off does to a career. 
Yes, one could argue that Bell got his money, but what looked like a career that was headed for the Hall of Fame ended with a whimper much sooner than expected. It's a really good email, and I, I, I really thought it was a point worth making, and that is not only did Le'Veon Bell never get back the money he lost out for that one season. Now, of course, he did get the big contract, so maybe that more than made up for it. But to his point, he never wound up having the career that it looked like he was on a trajectory to have. And it does beg the question, how many running backs are we going to see get into the Hall of Fame ever again? Like how many running backs, a guy like Saquon Barkley is, let's just say for the sake of argument, he plays two more years. How many running backs, Devin, how many active running backs would be Hall of Famers right now if their careers ended today? Would Derrick Henry be in the Hall of Fame? Derrick Henry, I believe, yes. Can, can you call up the list um, of, of, of career rushing leaders, active, like the active players who have run for the most yards, just because we need some sort of baseline to be looking at. Like, I, I just, I don't want to sit here off the top of my head and think of people. The top running backs in the sport of recent vintage who've been around a little longer are guys like McCaffrey, uh, yep. Alvin Kamara, uh, 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 Derek Henry. Yep. Who, 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 go, go through them. So Derek Henry is the active leader. Derek um, Henry, just over eight thousand yards. You have Ezekiel Elliott. Okay, number Zeke, two. Yeah. Mark Ingram's number three. Okay. Melvin Gordon's number four. Melvin Gordon. Wow. Okay. Nick Chubb is number five. Wow. Latavius Murray number six. Okay. Um, and then you have Dalvin Cook seven. Joe Mixon eight. Aaron Jones nine. And Alvin Kamara, 10. Okay. So that's the top 10. So these guys, these younger guys, the guys like Saquon haven't gotten uh, to that. And, and, and McCaffrey is, is McCaffrey McCaffrey's on McCaffrey's uh, 13th. He's a 13th. Who's, who's 11 and 12? 11 actually is really interesting. Russell Wilson is 11. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> and Josh Jacobs is 12. Okay, yeah. So, so, I mean, of that list, who's in the Hall of Fame? Does Derrick Henry go in the Hall of Fame? I think so. Zeke I mean, is not right. I mean, like, like Ezekiel Elliott is not. Mark Ingram certainly is not. Or Melvin Gordon, Nick Chubb, Latavius Murray. I don't think any of these guys are going to. The, I mean, if you look at the look, maybe okay. Now call up all the running backs. I'm giving you a lot of work here to do on the fly. Call up the running backs who are in the Hall of Fame. And we're talking about the greatest of the great. Right? When I think of Hall of Fame running backs, I think of Jim Brown and O.J. Simpson and Franco Harris. And and uh, Walter Payton, Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith, Ladane Tomlinson, O.J. Simpson, Eric Dickerson, Adrian Peterson, Marshall Falk, Terrell Davis. So Edwin Davis James. just played a very short time. Go ahead. Who was after him? Edwin James, Thur- Thurman Thomas, um, Franco Harris, Marcus Allen, Earl Campbell, Gail Sayers, um, Tony Sayer, Dorsett. Sayers also played a very short time, but was. Might have been the greatest, but keep going. I mean, this is like yeah, a, a murderer's row. Yeah. It's legendary players. Go on. Um, who did I say? Earl Campbell, Jim Taylor, Gail Sayers, Curtis Martin, Leroy Kelly, Tony Dorsett, Jerome Bettis, John Riggins, Paul, Paul Horning, Larry Zonka, and Floyd Little. Like these names, yeah. And I think then, you're going to have a very hard time getting arguing any of these guys, any of the active players. Like our, maybe Derrick Henry, I, I, I guess. Because he was he was the most important player on good teams, 
And he ran for a lot of yards. I mean, maybe we get some compilers in there. But Is I think McCaffrey on his way, you think? If he keeps playing at the level and the 49ers win some, some Well, Super if Bowls? he keeps playing. A lot of these guys, if they keep playing right. at this level. And I'm tr- you know, There are active Hall of Famers at every other position in the NFL. You could name a person at every other position in the NFL and say, if he retired today, he would be in the Hall of Fame. I would bet we could do that fairly easily. But the running backs, it's not like that. And I think it's going to get harder and harder to, to choose them. There's going to be more and more receivers who put up video game numbers and fewer and fewer running backs. You know, it's actually a fascinating set of circumstances because so many people pay attention to football these days because of fantasy. Running backs are the most important players in fantasy, and they're the least important players in reality. It's a conundrum, and I don't really know exactly what to say or do about it. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. I told you that the impossible might be happening in one NFL city. And to me, the impossible is Bill Belichick having his job status genuinely questioned. So Tom Curran, who is from NBC Sports Boston and, and to my knowledge, is a, is a a respected sports voice in Boston was on Rich Eisen's show. And he was making the case that Bill Belichick is on the hot seat. You know, you talk about avoiding the hot seat, Rich, he's on the hot seat and he's been there at different levels of warmth since 2019. Okay. So I guess we could define hot seat a lot of different ways. Right. The way I was taking that when I heard about this quote was whether his job status was in significant question. The idea that in, I mean, certainly in 2019, yes, there was a, a greater spotlight on him. And I think the fact that Brady had as much success as he did, namely winning a Super Bowl after their parting and that Belichick hasn't won a playoff game. I, I can understand why that maybe you could say. People's perspective on him, people's perception of him has changed a little. That I get. That makes some sense. The idea that he could be coaching for his job, that seems really weird to me. But I will say the vibes I get out of Boston and out of sports talk and out of fans and all that stuff is that the fans there are itching. They're angry and they're looking for something. And that the owner feels similarly. And look, Mr. Kraft is... He's getting up there in age. If he wants to win one, if, of course, he wants to win another, he doesn't have time for a lot of patience. I get that. But, I mean, if six championships doesn't buy you more grace time than this, I don't know what does. It's not like they fell off and became the worst team in the NFL. They've made the playoffs. They're in a loaded conference right now. So they could have they could be a good team this year and not make the playoffs. They're certainly not a Super Bowl contender, I don't think. But boy, I have a tough time picturing firing Bill Belichick. And I don't think Bill walks away. Bill's a lifer. I don't think Bill stops coaching until it stops him. It's an interesting question. Devin If Belichick were to get fired in New England, which, again, I can't even believe I'm saying that out loud. And and, and let me be very clear. I can't picture it. If Belichick got fired in New England, would he get another job immediately? Would would other teams fire their current coaches to hire him? 
<laughs> to me, he's the greatest of all time. So I think, yes, immediately. It's Bill Belichick we're talking about. Like, I think so, sometimes we lose, we lose sight of how good he is and how influential of a coach he is. I think immediately he gets picked up. And like you said, even if it's a, a coach who's like, hey, you know, we have the opportunity to get Bill Belichick, we might let you go to get try to get him. How old is he? Is Bill 71, I'm going to guess? Let me look it up. 70, 71, something like that? I could hear you typing. 71, yes, you nailed it. 71. So, look, I mean, guys have coached. Dick Vermeil was still coaching when he was much older than that, had good years. I'm trying to think who else off the top Tom of my head. Coughlin was, was Coughlin older than old. that? Yeah. Yeah. People have coached older than that. I mean, 71 Pete is. Carroll, 71. Nick Saban, 71. Andy Reid, 65 currently. Yeah. So, look, I think, I think Belichick has a lot left, and, and I would be stunned, beyond stunned, if he were to get fired. Um, but I suppose I've been stunned before. Crazier things have happened. Greeny, the podcast. All right, Greeny with you here on ESPN Radio as we roll along on this steamy Wednesday. Lots going on. We open the show talking about the Jets, who opened their training camp today. It's the first day of the rest of their lives, which is a fascinating place to be with Aaron Rodgers now in the building. And I'm wearing my Jet shirt today because when it comes to this day, I consider it a national holiday and I'm observant. So we'll see what winds up happening with them. I have a few other things in the hopper here. We just were talking about Bill Belichick possibly being on the hot seat again. I can't imagine it. I can't imagine that if Belichick were somehow to be fired in New England, that practically every team in the NFL wouldn't fire its own coach to try to hire him. That's the way I would see it. We'll see if it winds up going that way. In the meantime, all week long, we've had this NFL rank'em working here on ESPN Radio. Let's address that. From the top five NFL quarterbacks. Burrow. Touchdown, what a start. Two actually has one of the prettiest balls I've ever caught in my life. To the top five NFL fan bases. We're ranking the top of everything in the NFL. This is ESPN Radio's Rank'em. The All top right. five college football players you should watch because your team stinks. Okay, now that's just a hilarious title for a feature here. The top five players in college you should be watching because your NFL team is bad. So these will be the players who will be drafted at the top of the draft next year when Booger and Mel and Lewis and I convene in, where is it? Oh, in Detroit next year for the NFL draft. What are the names that will be called at the very top? Here we go. We'll do it. I'm actually going to do it one through five because I usually do it the other way. But we'll go one through five because that's the order in which I think they will be drafted. Number one. Now, number one is going to be Caleb Williams, the quarterback from USC who won the Heisman last year and is one of these. We hear the word generational prospect attached to these guys all the time. He is that. Caleb Williams is special, sensational, unimaginably good. Exactly what the NFL is now as far as his skill set he i think is going to be the first pick in the draft it would be a big surprise if he is not number two number two is another quarterback and that's drake may the kid from carolina people are very excited about looks the part big and strong um i think there are some more questions about him than there are about williams but with a good season, I think he solidifies himself. We had quarterbacks at the top of, well, most drafts in recent memory, not two years ago. 
but I think we're looking at quarterbacks at the top of this year's draft as well in Caleb Williams and Drake May. Number three. Then we get to who I think is probably the best player in the draft, and that's Marvin Harrison Jr., the wide receiver from Ohio State. They have basically become... W-R-U, wide receiver U there. They just churn out receivers every single year, including this year, Jackson Smith and Jigba. And, of course, they've had Garrett Williams and Chris Olave and all these other really good receivers in recent seasons. This is the best one. Marvin Harrison Jr., I think by everyone's um, measurement, at least as a prospect, is the best one. I think he would have been a top three or four pick if he had come out in this past year's draft. He is, of course, the son of the Hall of Fame receiver Marvin Harrison. And so I think he is another one who figures to go very high in a pass-happy NFL. He is a dream prospect. These are the top five players will go at the top of the draft that you need to watch because your NFL team is bad. Number four. Brock Bowers is four. He's a tight end from Georgia. They actually had a tight end who went in this year's draft as well. They had sort of a two-tight end attack. His name is jumping out of my head, the kid who went this year. I think he went round three. Um, But Bowers was really the guy. Bowers is the guy who looks like your prototypical. Like He looks like, if you remember what Mark Bavaro looked like, he looks like that guy. He, he, He is that big target in the middle of the field, big and strong um, he's he's he is what the prototypical NFL tight end has been, and with the attention now on the middle of the field and the inability for players to get hit the way they used to in the middle of the field, that, that that's only gotten more valuable. So I could see him going very high, a tight end going top five, unlikely, but he is definitively a player that I think you need to be watching. I think he's going to be really good. And then finally, number five, the defensive player to watch is the corner out of Alabama. And I put him on the list mostly because I just wanted to say his name. His name is Kool-Aid McKinstry. That, that is his name. And he is a spectacular player at Alabama. And he rounds out my list of the five players that you need to be watching as we consider who your team might be drafting next year if your team is drafting high. Speaking of Alabama, I had a chance to chat with their head coach, Nick Saban, today. Coach Saban and I have gotten to know each other over the years, and, and uh, I, I don't mean that to suggest we have a friendly relationship. I've, I've never talked to him off the air in my life. Um, we've not met. We don't play golf or anything like that. I don't want to give you that impression. But I think he likes doing interviews with me because I don't ask him all the same questions everyone else does. You know, the question about who's your starting quarterback going to be, I'll leave that to everybody at SEC Media Days. That's their job. They're going to ask all those kind of questions. I like talking to legendary people about the things that make them legendary. I, I like trying to get a little bit inside the head of someone like Saban, who is the most successful coach in the history of college football and a fascinating person. He's just a person who fascinates me. I know there's something polarizing about him. I know that his temper and his disposition, some people don't like him. I love him for some reason. I just find him an endlessly interesting person. One way or another, I had him on Get Up this morning, and we've got a little chunk of it here. What are we going to hear at the beginning of this, Devin? Devin was cutting this while I was on the air, so I don't know. I want to set it up right. What do I need to say to set this up for people? It's just the beginning that uh, you welcoming in first question. Oh, okay, yep. perfect. So it's the very beginning. This is Nick Saban this morning from Get Up. Coach, thank you, as always. And we run through all the different lists and all the different history. As the season begins, how do you set the expectations for your team? 
I really don't like to set expectations. I think sometimes when you have expectations, it's actually just a you know precursor to disappointment. Um, you know, you can take your golf game, and if your goal is to shoot less than 80, and all of a sudden you shoot 73, and that becomes a standard, then you're disappointed with 79. So uh, I think we want to focus on the process of what we need to do to get everybody to play winning football at their position. Uh, You mentioned the quarterback position, but it's just as important at every other position for everybody to be, you know, committed, hungry, and ready to do what they need to do to be the best player they can to play winning football. And when there's an opponent as close by as they are that has had the sort of success that Georgia has had the last two years, how does that impact what you do? Well, I think it's very challenging. I think, you know, they, Kirby's done a great job there. Georgia has really good players. They have a really good team. Uh, we've had several really good matchups with them in the last few years. And, um, you know, they're going to continue to be a good team. And uh, I think it's a challenging opportunity for us to be able to try to get our team in a position that would have an opportunity to maybe play them again uh, and, you know, see what happens from there. But uh, there's a lot of football to be played be played for us between you know now and then and a lot of people have to develop and our team needs to come together to be able to have a chance to do that yeah that meeting should it happen would not come until the sec championship game not on the schedule this year look coach you've won bigger than anyone in the history of your sport and i actually looked it up this morning you have been doing it nonstop for 50 years where does the motivation come from at this time in your career <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I think the way I look at it is every season is like a new challenge. So this season is like having a new team, taking a new job. Uh, You've got, you know, older guys who have experience that need to become leaders. You have younger guys who, you know, need to develop in the program so that they can contribute in a positive way. you got new coaches, which are trying to get on the same page. you got great competition in terms of the teams that you have to play. Uh, the coaches that they have, the players that they have. So it's just a great challenge, you know, every year. So I don't ever look backwards. I'm always looking forward. Uh, And this is just a challenging opportunity each season, especially in a league like the SEC. So um, that's kind of where the hunger comes from, is what are we going to do this time? In football and in most sports, you're only good as your last play. So we're trying to focus on that. You know, I've had these conversations a little bit over the years. The sport has undergone unimaginable change in a very short period of time. And I know this is a much longer conversation, but generally, do you feel like right now, as we begin another season, that the sport is in a good place? Well, I I think that the most important thing right now is it is what it is. Uh, And we have to adapt to it. Uh, and try to make our programs create more value for players uh, so that uh, they're going to benefit in personal development and developing a career off the field and developing a career on the field so that they're going to create value for their future, which is why we all went to college, and I think that's still why you go to college. And I know that we have some things that are involved now that didn't used to be involved, but I think we have to adapt to those things and try to make it work so that Uh, we can continue to challenge young people to be the best that they can be. So that was my conversation with Nick Saban, a a, a good portion of it from Get Up this morning. He's such an interesting person, and and I I like all of those things. And I'm always fascinated by lifers. I've learned this. I actually learned it the first time in in a conversation I had with Bob Knight 
So many, many, many years ago, Bob Knight was coaching at Texas Tech at this time, and he broke the all-time wins record. He won a game on a weeknight, and he became the all-time winningest coach in the history of men's college basketball. Now, that, that number has since, his number has since been surpassed, I think, by several coaches. But at that time, he became the winningest coach of all time. And he came on Mike and Mike the next day, and Golick was off that day. I was hosting by myself. So I interviewed him by myself. And I remember asking him, I said, you're still a young enough person to have another mountain to climb if you choose to. Do, do you have any other mountains in your life you want to climb? And, you know, Knight is a really interesting, I mean, complicated man, of course, but, but a very interesting and very intelligent person. And I really was expecting him to say yes. <laughs> I really was expecting him to at least get into some of the other things he's interested in. And you know what? He made it clear, and I've some I've subsequently had these conversations with people like Nick Saban, and that's why I said what I said about Belichick earlier this morning. Like these guys are lifers. This is what they do. This is in their blood. This is what drives them. And and I don't think they ever walk away. I think Coach K maybe a little bit of an exception to that, if if in part because I think there's a lot of frustration on his part with where his sport is and, and some of the particulars. Uh, involved right now in college basketball and the way all that is working, but I will not be at all surprised if we see him come back in a big way in some sort of role that maybe oversees the sport or something like that. Anyway, that's a different conversation for a different day. But, but, but Saban, I just find that stuff interesting. He finds a new challenge every single year in dealing with the new players. And look, he's got this new kid on the block. His old assistant, Kirby Smart, who's beaten everybody the last couple of years, including him. And so that, that, that changes the dynamic. And for those who will ask you the question, well, is Alabama down? Let me say something about that quickly. I'm not taking sides in this. Georgia has won the last two national championships, and they, they absolutely deserve to be considered right now at the top of the mountain. But the reality is, two years ago, Alabama beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. Alabama had two outstanding wide receivers. They lost one of them in that game. They lost the other one early in the championship game, the rematch against Georgia. Am I telling you that if Jamison Williams and John Mechie had played that title game that Alabama would have won? I'm not telling you that. I obviously don't know that. But Saban was not playing with his full hand. He did not have a complete deck to choose from when he lost that national championship game. And then last year, when he doesn't even make it into the Final Four, if you look at their season, Alabama was two plays away from a perfect season. Two plays. Two plays go their way, and they're unbeaten going into the SEC championship game against Georgia, and then who knows what happens. So again, I'm I'm not here to tell you that Alabama is right where they want to be or anything like that or that you should be satisfied or anything. I know the mentality of the fans in that part of the country. And and Saban himself has set a standard that absolutely is championship or bust. But I, I think sometimes you have to be realistic. This whole narrative that, well, Saban is down, Alabama, they're not down. They, they, they lost a crazy game to LSU last year, and that game they lost against Tennessee. I mean, look, I keep saying it. I spent more time watching that official than I, than I have any. That, and, and, and the game was still right there to be won at the very end. I, I, it's, 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 it's water under the bridge now. 
But what I'm saying is, you write off Alabama at your own peril. I am most certainly not going to do that with you. One other thing I'll finish with, because of the golf analogy that he made, he he, he started to say something, and I was positive I knew where he, where he was going to go, and he didn't. But one of the lessons that you get from people who are as process-oriented as Saban is, is something that we do learn in golf. And I am one of those people who every time I step to the first tee, my goal is to break 80. For me, breaking 80 is a very good day. I do it from time to time, but certainly not every round. My index is 8.5. So I'm someone who usually will shoot 82, 83. On a good day, I'll make a good run at 78, 79. On a bad day, I'll shoot 86, 87. And anyone who knows golf knows that that might not sound like a big difference, but boy, those differences are a chasm. And the one lesson that we learn in golf, which is a very valuable lesson, especially if there's young people listening right now, a very valuable lesson in life is about process. So when you step to the first tee, if your thought on standing on that first tee before you hit your first shot of the day is, I want to shoot 79 today. You have diminished your chances of doing it. Your chance of doing it is not what it should be. The mindset you must have when you walk to that first tee is, I want to hit a good shot right now. I want to hit a good first shot. Let me hit this shot well. What's my game plan? What is it I want to do? What am I trying to accomplish on this swing on this shot? And I'll hit that, and then I'll go worry about the next one. And then I'll go worry about the one after that. And after that, and after that, and after that, and in the end, we'll add them up. And yes, I hope they add up to 79. But if I stand on that first tee thinking about the 79 I want to shoot, then I have completely missed the process. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have a good day doing that. But it is a very good lesson in life. Toward like a football analogy. Getting Monday right, Tuesday right, Wednesday right, Thursday right. By the time you get to Sunday, most of the hard part has been done. And the game takes care of itself. That's what I thought Saban was going to say. Anyway, my thanks to the coach for spending some time with us today. And my thanks for you for coming along for the ride. We'll see you back in Better Than Ever. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. And see it with the video on ESPN+. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN. And also available wherever you get your podcast.